Hi, and welcome to the RCH Kids Health Info Podcast, the podcast about common child and adolescent health concerns. I'm Dr. Lexi Frydenberg, paediatrician and your host for today. Today we'll be talking about a topic that baffles many of us and we wish we had all the answers to, chronic fatigue syndrome, otherwise known as myalgic encephalomyelitis. From the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. We've got a fabulous guest today, Dr Colette Reevely, paediatrician in our adolescent department here at RCH, who has a special interest in chronic fatigue syndrome and works here at the Chronic Fatigue Clinic at RCH. Welcome, Colette. Thank you very much, Lexi. So today I thought I'd start with a patient story, an email I received from a parent, because I think it reinforces what a huge diagnosis chronic fatigue syndrome can be for a child or adolescent and their family, and what a complex journey the family goes on. We are so fortunate that our daughter is now well and happy, albeit challenged by fatigue regularly. She went into chronic fatigue syndrome as a super social, bubbly and very talented athlete. She came out the other end as a fragile, underconfident and socially isolated woman who is slowly rebuilding herself. She missed almost three years of school and was unable to maintain friendships. Chronic fatigue syndrome is brutal. It's isolating and it's frustrating for both sufferers and their families. How can we ensure that young people and their families start to be heard and seen by the system much earlier? So these are incredibly powerful words. And today, along with Colette, I wanted to unpack and help answer some questions that you as parents might have about how to recognise chronic fatigue syndrome early and how to get the right support. So Colette, children and teenagers often come to us as paediatricians, but also come to GPs with lots of symptoms of tiredness, difficulty concentrating, brain fog, poor sleep, a lot of non-specific aches and pains. And we often get asked the question, could this be chronic fatigue syndrome? So it might be helpful to start by outlining what is chronic fatigue syndrome in children and adolescents. So chronic fatigue syndrome isn't simply fatigue or being tired. Lots of us experience fatigue on and off because of what's going on in our lives. And that is not chronic fatigue syndrome. It's also not just being tired every day in isolation for a period of time. That's obviously debilitating, but it doesn't meet the criteria for chronic fatigue syndrome. Chronic fatigue syndrome is the constellation of symptoms that predominantly is fatigue. So it is a daily, constant, overwhelming fatigue that limits um, people's ability to function in all aspects of their life and is not related to an underlying medical condition or exertion and it's not alleviated by rest or sleep. It's associated with um, a significant sleep disturbance that can take many forms. It's often described by patients and their families as unrefreshing sleep, but it can also be excessive sleepiness, need for sleep. Chronic fatigue syndrome is also associated with symptoms affecting all 
areas of the body and how the body functions. And lots of patients complain of issues with cognitive function, so how their brain works. Brain fog is a common complaint, but also issues with memory, concentration, study, word finding difficulties. Patients often complain of sensitivities to noise and light and new sensitivities to smells, taste chemicals. They're also very um, sensitive to medications and often need lower doses than other patients and often experience quite significant side effects, which it's important to remember for the health professionals involved in their care. Um, changes in their appetite and issues with um, fluctuating diarrhea and constipation and painful heavy periods if they are females um, or frequency with their urination in the absence of any infection. Um, and also patients can complain of breathlessness, um, heart racing, dizziness on standing, um, lightheadedness or even loss of consciousness um, and lots of patients will also experience um, recurrent swollen glands or flu-like symptoms. So really there's a huge number of complaints or issues that some patients might have with yep. tiredness being one of the main features but not the only feature. The other thing we haven't mentioned is after exercise, many adolescents get very tired. It's called post-exertional fatigue. Is that a prerequisite for the diagnosis of chronic fatigue? I think that what it means is that for this particular patient group, when they exert themselves in any shape or form, so often it's physically, as you've mentioned, but it can be academically or cognitively, um, or it also could be emotionally, they actually see a real flare in all of their symptoms. So their fatigue and their associated symptoms that we've talked about um, really does flare. And that flare doesn't just happen for, um, you know, the immediate time period after that exertion, but it tends to persist for a few days to up to a few weeks following Okay, so we've got this huge number of possible symptoms. What age do we tend to diagnose children or adolescents with chronic fatigue? Look, it is most common in early to mid adolescence in terms of um, it's rare to see um, in those under 12 years of age. Most commonly, it's around about the age of 14 to 16, and it's predominantly presents in females more than males. So with a ratio of four females will present to one male. Do we understand why? Why it's more common in females? Why some people get it and others don't? Unfortunately, despite the condition being well described in the medical literature since the 1700s, there has not been a lot of research done. It seems clear that there is a genetic pre-susceptibility. So people are born with particular genetic genes makeup, which predisposes them to develop chronic fatigue syndrome. It often runs within families. There's often a positive family history. It's felt that there are particular environmental triggers and most commonly a perfectly healthy, achieving young person has a viral infection that they never really recover from fully and then they begin to develop 
all of the symptoms that I have described. Okay, so there's research going into it, but at this stage we don't know that much about what the causes are, apart from often a viral trigger. Correct. So if as a parent I suspect or I'm concerned that my child has many of these features and it's been going on for a long period of time, is there any test for chronic fatigue? Could my child have some blood tests or any MRI scans? If you're concerned about your child or teenager, if they aren't recovering from a viral infection or if they seem to be low in energy or complaining a lot of tiredness or muscle aches and pains, it's actually important not to wait too long. Um, it's important to go along to your GP in the first instance because, as you've indicated, these symptoms are actually quite non-specific. And although the ultimate diagnosis may be chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome is a diagnosis of exclusion. Go along to your health professional, have a good chat um, around what are the other situations around the symptoms um, and definitely some blood tests should be performed to exclude um, really important and significant medical causes of these otherwise non-specific symptoms. Okay, so what are some of those conditions that we need to rule out or exclude before the diagnosis of chronic fatigue is made? What are some of the red flags that, that you're aware of? So lots of things can make people feel tired. Health conditions such as um, renal problems, liver problems, serious underlying gut disorders um, such as celiac disease or inflammatory bowel disease. And then I guess sometimes there are clear reasons behind why a young person or child is tired. Um, we all know how over-encompassing um, the use of um, electronics can be. And um, all too often on taking a really detailed history, it's clear that a young person is just not sleeping because they've got their electronics in their room and they're actually spending all night on screens. And that can obviously make them tired, but it's not going to be chronic fatigue syndrome. Parents often say to us that it takes a long time to get a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome. So what are your recommendations about where parents should go to get help and what treatments might be available? I think the important thing is for patients and families to go to their GP sooner rather than later to express their concerns. And it's important, I think, for them to actually, instead of being told what it isn't, to ask what it is. I think sometimes health professionals find it difficult to make a positive diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome. However, if all of the investigations are within normal limits and the symptoms have been going on for three months in children and young people, then it is actually important to give the condition the diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome because what that then does is it enables proper management to then move forward. I will often meet young people and their families and they've continued to try to rest and limit what they do, which is only to be expected. If you're feeling tired and achy and it gets worse when you do things, then you're going to rest and you're going to limit what you do. But unfortunately, what we know is that um, that can actually exacerbate 
the symptoms. Um, and obviously, the longer that young people are removed from school, socialisation, their activities, the more their mental health will be impacted. Okay, that's a great segue to talk about the management of chronic fatigue, because I think it is important that families and, and young people get the diagnosis, but also that GPs can start the management process because often the wait to see a paediatrician or a chronic fatigue service is very long and we want to get in early. So what are the main treatment options for chronic fatigue syndrome? I think the main treatment options are around lifestyle management and symptom management. So as I've already mentioned, um, the misguided um, feeling that you should stay in bed and not do anything can actually lead to a worsening of symptoms, mainly because of deconditioning. And so the most important thing that a young person and their family can do is really look at their sleep structure and really try to address that. Adolescents in general need nine and a quarter hours of sleep overnight and it varies according to each individual but that's kind of roughly where you're aiming for. Have a regular bedtime, remove all of the electronics from the room and have a regular getting up time. Try and limit naps during the day. Which is Easy to say, but incredibly hard to do when you have a young person who's just so tired and wants to lie down and fall asleep. So sleep structure and sleep hygiene, like we tell many of ourselves in our adolescents, is exceptionally important. What are some other treatments? Sometimes it's important to engage with an allied health professional who can help around establishing that better sleep structure. And that's where psychologists may come in handy. And GPs may use um, medications to try and help reset that structure. The next mainstay, I think, is activity management. And what that entails, I guess, is working out what a young person can do with their particular envelope of energy in a day. Um, it involves a partnership between the young person, the family and often the school. Um, and it's a really important partnership. So often parents ask us, should my child go to school? Should they take some time off? Should they go on alternate days or half days? Is there a general recommendation or is it individually based? I actually think that it should be individually based in terms of the general recommendation is there should be some engagement with education, but it really does depend upon the functional ability of the young person at that time. Um, it also obviously depends upon their interests. I usually will say to a young person and a family that it's important to focus on English and maths, the core subjects in the first instance, um, and then think about where the young person wants to go in life, if they have an idea about their career structure or their interests, then then put those subjects in to the mix next, along with subjects they enjoy and teachers that they enjoy. And it's obviously really important that they try to maintain some connection with their peers. So when meeting with the school to form an individual learning plan, it's quite important to look at the timetable and try and make sure that there is time around um, lunch times or break times where the young person can connect with their peers um, and maintain their friendships. So really you've said education, 
social engagement, so seeing their friends and physical activity are the sort of main areas that we we can help manage, as well as sleep. What about nutrition? Is diet important for our young people in these circumstances? I think diet and healthy eating is important for all of us, particularly adolescents. Unfortunately, um, in this age group, there is a tendency in general to um, skip breakfasts and be very busy with other things. Obviously, um, to enable energy, you need to pop in the fuel, and that is nutrition. Patients with chronic fatigue syndrome often struggle in the mornings, as you've indicated, you know, they're tired, they don't want to get out of bed. They often feel nauseated and dizzy and lightheaded and bloated. Um, but it is really important that they get some nutrition um, in in the morning, whether that be via a smoothie um, or whatever. And it is important to follow the basic principles of healthy eating with small, frequent meals. And that can be really difficult for these young people, but it is a cornerstone of trying to minimise their symptoms and maximise their function and enjoyment of life. We also know, Colette, that mental health issues and mood disturbance is really big in young people in general, but even more so in our young people with chronic fatigue. So do we know whether lowered mood or depression, is that what might cause chronic fatigue or is it a consequence of always being tired, losing contact with your friends, not going to school? I think it's a fascinating debate and it seems to be quite polarising in this particular condition with professionals advocating it's entirely a mental health condition that stems from a primary mood disturbance to providers who believe that it's entirely a physical medical condition that leads to um, lowered mood. I think that what we've seen during the pandemic in our general healthy adolescent population where they have been restricted to home and they've lost their usual activities and socialisation, we've seen a real flare in um, mental health disorders. And so it's not surprising to me that, you know, the young people who suffer from chronic fatigue syndrome over time develop issues with feeling anxious and depressed, particularly when, um, you know, it's not possible to say to them how long their condition will go on for and when they will recover. That recovery usually will occur over the course of anywhere between one to six years. There are very few of my patients and families that actually go into um, the um, disability section in the adult population. When you just said that one to six years, that is a huge amount of time for a young person or a young adult and for families because it is such a journey for them. Is there any cure? We've talked about supportive treatments. Is there any cure or is there any research about cures for possible chronic fatigue syndrome at the moment? Unfortunately, we don't actually fully understand the cause of chronic fatigue syndrome. There's no definitive test that we've been able to develop yet. And so as a consequence, at the moment, we don't have a cure for chronic fatigue syndrome. Having said that, there are lots of exciting areas of research looking at the function of the brain. And with the advent of COVID and long COVID, there's a lot more interest in this 
space around patients with these symptoms. And hopefully we will get some more answers as more research is done. Thank you for bringing that up because that was actually my next question. We're hearing a lot, obviously, about long COVID down the track and that um, people don't really understand it, but the symptoms seem very similar to chronic fatigue syndrome. Is it the same condition and what are the similarities and differences between chronic fatigue and long COVID that we know thus far? So there definitely are um, a cohort of patients who fall under the long COVID um, group that actually I think are patients with chronic fatigue syndrome. The presentation of chronic fatigue syndrome is often a viral infection. So it makes sense that some of the population who've experienced acute COVID will go on to develop chronic fatigue syndrome Okay, I've got some list of questions that people emailed in. You talked about a whole lot of symptoms that we can help manage and that school and psychologists, etc. need to be involved. Who are the key players in that treatment team? And really, who's the conductor of the orchestra? Who helps the family and guides them? Either the GP or the paediatrician, I think, in terms of making the diagnosis and being the orchestra of the team around them. In terms of the important components of a treating team around um, the patient and family really depends upon the difficulties that the patient is having. Because it's a real challenge, isn't it, for, for a young person who's previously been incredibly active often to really work out, you know, how to re-engage in the world physically and if they overdo it, do they go backwards? It's a huge challenge and it's a learning experience for the young person. And as you quite rightly say, it is often um, a trial and error situation and it's also a mobile situation because this is a chronic fluctuating condition. And so over time, there will be a gradual improvement in general, but it will be interspersed with setbacks triggered often by viral infections. Okay. So really the young the young adult and the family are at the centre of our team. The doctor, the GP and paediatrician, we've talked about a physical therapist um, and we've also mentioned psychologists. What's the role of a psychologist in this team? The role of a psychologist is really to help the young person remain motivated. Whenever anyone has a chronic fluctuating condition, it can be hard to remain motivated and hopeful. The loss of social interactions, the loss of um, extracurricular activities and also the worry associated with performing academically when you're struggling with brain fog and concentration and memory. So it's not surprising that these young people will feel anxious Um, and sometimes depressed at various stages during their journey with this condition. Lots of people don't understand or don't believe, if you like, that chronic fatigue syndrome is a genuine medical condition. And so there's lots of stigma associated with this condition and patients and families can feel really isolated and misunderstood. And it's quite important, I think, to have the space to discuss that with an experienced professional. Yeah, I think one of the parents mentioned to me that their child said, Everyone thinks it's all in my head, but it's not. And I think for a young person to be able to say that and be heard is really important. 
often the families struggle on this journey as well. So I, I, you know, really feel that psychologists or other mental health professionals can be helpful for the family, not just the young person. So the next question, many parents um, reach out for complementary and alternative therapies because as, you know, Western health practitioners, we don't have the answer. We do not have a cure for this condition. What's the role of these therapies? Is there any evidence for them? As you say, Lexi, it's very, very common for patients and families to seek alternative therapies um, because we are so limited in what we can actually offer. In general, my view is that if people want to try complementary medicine, that is okay. They just need to be open and honest with their doctor and it should be for a set period of time. And it should be reviewed as to whether it is helpful or not. My concern sometimes is that this can be an expensive course of action and it might not actually be having any benefit. Because as we also know, sometimes vitamins or Chinese medicines can be used and they can actually have some negative side effects and consequences and actually flare symptoms if used excessively and for a prolonged period of time. And they can also interact with other medications that doctors might prescribe. So it's really important for everyone to know who the young person and family are seeing and to work together. There's often a question about the role of outpatient medicine, so being seen in a clinic but living at home versus being an inpatient coming into a hospital setting for a few weeks or even a few months. What do you recommend working here at the Chronic Fatigue Service at the Royal Children's? As we've already talked about, this is a very debilitating condition, but it's not life-threatening and it's not acute. Unfortunately, in our inpatient setting, um, it is very difficult for us to provide a space that is conducive to therapeutic management of patients with chronic fatigue syndrome. An inpatient ward is incredibly noisy. It's very difficult to have uninterrupted refreshing sleep, which is the cornerstone of management for this condition. And unfortunately, in an inpatient setting, there's exposure to infectious diseases and such likes. Although in rare instances when um, patients are really, really struggling and need acute um, help with nutritional intake or fluids, in general, outpatient care is by far preferred. Okay, so really outpatient home-based care but working with a a big team can be incredibly helpful. I've also been asked the question about the role of individual therapy, so one-on-one versus group therapy. What are your thoughts? Individualised targeted interventions is really important in this patient group because everybody has a slightly different presentation and different priorities around function. Having said that, group work for adolescents in particular is very, very useful and important around peer support and socialisation. And certainly here at the Children's Hospital, we do a combination. We run a group outpatient programme over four weeks that has individualised goals and targets. And the feedback has been that the young people really appreciate the connections that they make, as do the families. 
So for families who aren't involved in in a big hospital like ours, but they are quite keen for their young person or the young person's keen for group therapy, what is the supports here in Australia for chronic fatigue? We have a chronic fatigue syndrome society that is called Emerge and they have great resources and information for young people and families around what services are available and what supports can be accessed. So we'll link that in our show notes and I actually had a look last night and some of their webinars are incredible and I know from parents they've said that initial email they get when a diagnosis is made by this organisation has been really helpful. Colette, that's been a fascinating discussion on a really complex issue. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Lexi. I suppose I wanted to end with your thoughts. How can we improve the system? How can we improve our support of young people and families with chronic fatigue syndrome here in Australia? I think the main thing is early access to diagnosis, validation that this is a real debilitating condition that requires significant support, but also that we can provide hope for these young people. As a health profession, we need to actually recognise it and begin management a little earlier than we do currently. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and even better, leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice. 